This is Pulse 95. Pulse 95. A story to tell. Pulse 95 Live from the International Government Communication Forum. Yes, welcome back to Pulse 95 Live at the International Government Communication Forum. My name is Sally Musa, and I am very excited to be introducing our next guest right here. Roger Fisk was the political campaign marketing and media strategist widely credited with playing a key behind the scenes role in the back-to-back electoral victories of President Barack Obama in both 2008 and 2012. He was heavily involved in these game-changing campaigns, which are regarded as the best-run presidential campaigns in U.S. political history. Roger Fisk, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on Pulse95. It's, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. We're excited that you are here. And uh, I'm going to get your uh, thoughts first on Sharjah, on coming to the IGCF. You've already had your session this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's been so interesting. One of the things that I learned uh, starting off uh, just as a little baby intern uh, when I started to work for John Kerry is how important it is to listen. So one of the things that I really enjoy doing is not only just you know running around the world and speaking, but I try to spend even more time listening. And the other speakers and a lot of the exhibits here and a lot of the folks that I've met have been so interesting. The Sharjah Art Foundation did a reception and a dinner last night. So I went to the Biennale and got to walk around some of those galleries. So there's just a lot of energy. There's a lot of passion. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm learning probably a lot more than I'm sharing with, uh, with the other guests, but it's, it's a ton of fun. And I'm just really enjoying it. That is fantastic. I love that you've already been to the biennial here in Sharjah, one of the best in the world, by for the sure, way. For sure. uh, you know, but coming back to you and your story, you know, I remember the watershed moment when President Barack Obama was elected. It was historical for many reasons. But on February the 10th, 2007, when he announced his campaign for the presidency, it was not thought, even by those that supported him, that he could actually make it through all the way to the White House. Isn't that the fun part? I mean, it's really interesting. When I when I go around and speak with like college audiences and things like that, I spend more time on that because when I Googled his candidacy early on and was, was thinking about joining and, and was in conversations, you know, invariably the first sentence always said, you know, potential history-making campaign by this young senator from Illinois. And then the second sentence would always say, and he's a long shot and he has no chance. You know what I mean? So when we I talk, all when, wanted it to happen, but we didn't dare dream. Exactly. So one of the things I share, especially with younger audiences, as they're starting out their careers and everything, is just because 99 people out of 100 think one thing, that still can, that still can mean that that one last person who's alone believing something can still be right. Conventional wisdom can be wrong. And a lot of people take too much comfort into it in, in conventional wisdom. And I always think it's smart to just set that aside and make your own decisions based on your gut and based on the best information you have at hand. It was you know, very much regarded not only as one of the best run presidential campaigns in history, um, but one that very much engaged people at the grassroots. And of course, President Barack Obama coming from a community organizing background as well himself, it seemed like that was coming from the top from him. Talk to us about how this campaign was so different. Yeah, it's, it's, it, there's a couple things that we did and there's a couple things about the landscape that this was happening on. Um, to talk about some of the internals, for example, 
The organizing principle of the first campaign was basically we were going to build tools that we would provide to people so that they could organize folks that are already in their own lives. In the sense of, you know, MyBarackObama.com was our online organizing tool, and it was basically like signing up for a free email account or something like that, some basic demographic information. And then you could import all your contacts, and you could actually, for the first time in American presidential politics, start to generate activity, just as you as the individual, um, through that online organizing tool. So in the past, if you thought a campaign wasn't doing enough on education, you would, you know, try to talk to the campaign and get them to do more on education. We flipped that script and we gave people a tool that said, if you think we should be doing more on education, here's a tool that you can use to do more on education. And if you're a nurse, here's a tool that you can use to reach out and organize other nurses, either a nurse that you already know or a nurse a thousand miles away in another part of the country. Mm. Uh, so the whole organizing principle was based on, on the individual and kind of working your way backwards to the headquarters. And then very quickly on kind of the, the landscape upon which this was all happening, it was the first time in my life that someone in the White House wasn't trying to stay, either a president trying to get reelected or a vice president going to be president. So it was a wide open conversation with the American uh, people and there was Iraq war fatigue and, and all these other things. So it just made for this very interesting moment in time. So between the man and, and the culture that we were able to create as just a small little startup early on, and then that kind of unique moment in American history all kind of came together uh, in a very special way. We're here talking about, you know, changing behavior for human development. And, you know, this is very much kind of in line with what President Barack Obama ran with. He was running for hope. He was trying to empower people with his message. Yes, we can. Why do you think it was that people connected so powerfully to him and his message? Well, mainly, I think one of the most important things in terms of a takeaway that's relevant to our time here at this conference in Sharjah is that he started off with a very simple uh, honesty and authenticity about who he was. He said, look it, I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna talk about exactly what I believe, exactly who I am, exactly where I wanna bring the country and how I envision us being able to get there. If people react and, and start to embrace it, then we'll move forward and you know we'll continue to campaign and fight. And if it's rejected, you know, then I'm not gonna shape shift and try to become something that I'm not uh, to try to fit the, the trend or the mood or, or anything like that. And the beauty of that is, is that once you have that core honesty, that core uh, sense of exactly why you're doing these things, everything else that we built, the online tools, the social media, the earned media, the traditional media, all those other things, were just extensions of and logical layers onto that core authenticity. So if you attend an event in 2007, and you read an article in 2012, and then you opened up an email in 2016, there would be a cohesive narrative arc there because we never had to change who we were because we started with someone that was comfortable enough with themselves to say, I'm gonna be exactly who I am, go out there. If people embrace, we move forward. If they reject it, we're done, and I go back to the United States Senate. We've moved on, though, to somebody who is doing just that. Uh, the current president of the United States is, is not afraid to be himself in any way, shape or form. I think a lot of us are still looking back to November 2016. I know it was 18 months ago, but we're still wondering what happened, Roger? What happened? Well, uh, it goes back even earlier than that. Um, in broad strokes and for the sake of, you know, simplifying things a little bit, which I'm always reluctant to do, but I realize we only have a couple minutes together. In November of 2008, the United States of America elected its first black president and roughly 40% of the country lost its mind. 
Um, and so when you look at kind of the uh, primal scream of the Tea Party uh, and then the racial kind of tone that that took on, I mean, effigies of the president hanging from trees and things like that, um, that kind of anger and that kind of uh, grievance and grudge and all those things, uh, if you're willing to tap into that, um, you know, anger's easy. It's the really, Bertha movement, he just, he just went for it. It was like the match that lit up the fire even more. Yeah, it's really easy to do anger. And yeah, it started off as portraying him as the other. Mm. And I would, have, I would have people that say, yeah, he's, he just doesn't have traditional values, which means he's not white, what that means when it comes down to it. Um, and it also has to do with, you know, the, the nostalgia that the current uh, president uh, shopped was, you know, there's a lot of people in terms of globalization and things like that, if you feel comfortable with technology and the evolution of America's role in the world and things like that, um, then the, then you're going to be comfortable with change and things like that. Uh, and the and the current president was very adept at shopping this kind of nostalgia, like this idea of returning to some time, and no one's even been able to identify for me exactly what time is it the 50s, is it the 80s, is it the 30s? Like I don't I don't know when this ideal time in American history was. Um, but it's easy to shop that, right? And for a lot of people who felt kind of left behind in the global economy and things like that, it uh, it resonated. Social media is central to our discussion here because uh, President Obama's campaign was really the first to harness the power of social media to organize people. And it felt like, you know, to organize people for good. The current president, however, has used it in a completely different way. So I want to get your thoughts on the changing impact of social media within presidential campaigns. Sure, it's really interesting. People need to remember that social media is just like a hammer or a telephone. Um, you can use a hammer to bash a window, you know, or you can use a hammer to build a house. It's it's really comes down to the intent of the individual when they pick up and use these tools. And like I said, our tools were based on you know empowering individuals to organize and, and be part of the campaign. And I think. Uh, the current president used um, social media much more, I think, in the 20th century model, which was just a one-way street of pushing out, this is who I am, this is what I stand for, this is what I'm upset about, um, and was able to market it in a way that that, uh, that galvanized a certain segment of voters. But it's a fundamentally different, like he, he was kind of top-down just speaking at people, and we looked at um, our campaign as bottom-up in the sense of like cultivating each individual, not just into a supporter, um, but giving them the tools to be an organizer, which is why our electoral college victory was much larger, our popular vote victory much larger, et cetera. So I want to come back to the, to the whole point of authenticity that we saw with not just President Obama himself, but his entire family. And now, you know, I'm feeling like ever since he got elected, you know, we we saw his first lady representing something new that we wanted to see in first ladies, smart, bold, powerful, somebody who has a powerful career, but she's also a mother. She's connected to her family. She's connected to her husband. She's connected to the community and to the people as well. You know, I think I want to ask, will we ever see Michelle Obama running for office? I, I think <laughs> it's it's pretty sad. You know, the, the, the whole experience that we're here discussing was 10 years, right? And then before that, he also ran for the Senate. So if you think of it in the context of like, I've been married for 20 years, imagine if 12 of those years was consumed in, in these campaigns in one form or another. I think she's very comfortable with the contributions that she made. 
um, in her early efforts about childhood obesity. She she brought in uh, a dozen of the largest CEOs of, of the largest food companies and got them to agree in a year to remove a trillion calories from the national diet, right? And then her work on school lunch programs and that kind of health. I mean, the, the fact that she did that and, and increased the health by which some of these kids, when they're in third and fourth and fifth grade, when the when the neural development is so critical, and if you just can change the trajectory of someone's intake in terms of uh, uh, vitamins and things like that, that that the, that that enhances their capacity, their their intellectual capacity for the rest of their life. So, like the impact that they had and that she had is going to be paying off in probably ways that we can't measure, but for a long time into the future. And I think a lot of people are still yearning for that kind of a role model to come back. And to, to be at the White House once again. So I want to ask you now, you know, what does the American electorate look like? Are we going to, to see another wave of change coming back? Um, you know, with uh, Alexandra uh, Ocasio-Cortez um, Cortez as well. You know, Rashida Tlaib, um, Ilhan Omar, people like that, you know, getting elected into Congress. Are we seeing a new wave coming up? Well, all of these things, you know, are kind of pendulous. Right, so you go from the cerebral Bill Clinton to the more gut instinct George W. Bush, and then you go from the cerebral Barack Obama to the more gut instinct Donald Trump. Right, like that's the that's the kind of yinging and yanging of these things. Um, the interesting thing about the the, the freshman uh, Democratic Congresswoman that you mentioned is, in a way, they come from roughly the same instinct or the same appetite, different parts of the country and different constituencies. But a fundamental sense, similar to, in many ways, why the, the current president won, of a dissatisfaction with the entire system and of a, of, a, of a larger sense that the appetite and the capacity of the system isn't equal to the challenges ahead of us, or even that are right in front of us right now. So very different avenues, very different constituencies, very different philosophies, but both reflecting a, a, a deep dissatisfaction on the part of the American people with uh, our leaders' ability to really try to tackle with the full scope of the challenges and, and opportunities that are in front of the American people right now. The, the final question to you, Roger Fisk, is, is what do you see as the biggest challenge for governments when they're communicating with the people, particularly you know, in this day and age of, of social media kind of taking over sometimes the conversation? Well, I think what's important is, uh, and I've been doing like work with MIT, for example, for a while, is is you know the days of just you know, of really smart people deciding things in a conference room are over i'm a huge fan of crowdsourcing things i'm a huge fan if we're going to talk you and i about young families as they are you know um or young couples as they start their family right then let's bring in some people that are in that situation and let's let's involve them in this effort so that when we go out and we talk about these issues and we try to educate people about the responsibilities and the opportunities and some of the tools that are at their disposal. We want to use voices and people that look and sound and feel like the same target demographic that we're trying to reach out to with that information. Um, so the, I, the, I think we're past the days we're just putting a smart person in front of a microphone and saying, this is what's right, this is what you need to do, is a much different exercise than having those voices so if you heard from someone who's roughly a peer of yours saying, hey, this is why you should you know, start even a small savings account in, when you're starting out your career, and this is how you do it, that's going to resonate with you much more than some you know, really smart, polished spokesperson saying, start a savings account. You know? And so it's kind of taking that idea, using culturally appropriate ways to get out that kind of education, that kind of awareness building. 
Roger Fisk, what an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank in you so Georgia much. Thank you so much. And thank you to Pulse95 for having me. Thank you. Lots more to come. We are Pulse95 live from IGCF 2019. This is Pulse95. Pulse95. A story to tell.